Every day, a small group of people are making quantum leaps forward, building wealth faster than most dream possible, almost like they have the Midas touch. On Breakaway Wealth, we'll unlock the secrets to breaking out of the herd, thinking big and building wealth on our own terms. And now let's join our host, the creator of Create Tailwind, and your abundance advocate, Jim Oliver. Welcome back, Breakaway Wealth. I'm Jim Oliver, your host, and with me today, my co-host, Nick Costco. Welcome, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me again. It's fun going through this book. It is fun going through this book. Now, this is this chapter is uh, chapter five, and we're talking about how does this work economics of IBC? All right, hold on. What are we talking about? We're talking about the case for IBC. Those of you that are just joining us for the first time, Nelson Nash put out a few published uh, works uh, talking about infinite banking concept. The last one was a book that he co-authored with uh, Carlos Laura and Dr. Bob Murphy called The Case for IBC. You can find that at infinitebanking.org. Uh, it's a seven chapter book, a little summary of a, of a lot of Nelson's thoughts. Um, and we're on chapter five today called How Does This Work? Absolutely. And this is, I, I, you know, this is an interesting chapter, Nick, and it's interesting when you search on the internet and find some of these guys out there that are uh, on YouTube, etc. They spend so much time talking about the insurance contract. And so we're going to talk a little bit about it and have just some, they, they kind of handle some FAQs here. And, um, and so let's just kind of get into it. So, you know, he talks about that, uh, that we're using a properly designed dividend paying whole life insurance to become your own banker. Right. And then he just jumps into the questions and, and I, I agree with some of the ways that he answers the questions and we're going to add some things or maybe add a little bit different twist on some of the answers. Okay. So the first question is if it's about becoming your own banker, why do you guys keep talking about life insurance? So it's infinite banking concept, right? It's, and it's transforming the way you think. And here's what I would say. It's a process, not a product. Okay. Yep. But we're going to talk more about the product here with these questions. Okay. Um, and it's the, the, the insurance contract is a money pool and it's really, you need a platform. You need a money pool to make infinite banking work right? Yeah. Just remember everyone, this is not about a product. It's about a process. I always say, Hey, you can do this with your shoebox money, a CD, your checking account. It just so happens that the ideal platform is this very specifically designed dividend paying whole life policy. And there's a lot of people out there on the internet trying to just sell the insurance policy, sell an illustration, make that thing kind of tricked out. But Nelson belabored, Hey, don't get focused on that too much. It's about the process. Absolutely. So, um, you know, he says in the last paragraph or, uh, that in order to practice IBC as Nelson envisioned it, it's necessary to make large premium payments to build up cash surrender value of a life insurance policy so that uh, large policy loans will be available when needed. Okay, so... You know, this is something that we want to put more in here, not less. This is you're going to utilize it, put it to work. So that's what I would say is I'm going to take away from that first question is 
is it's the vehicle to becoming your own banker and you want to have a bigger vehicle or a bigger pool of money, not a smaller one. All yeah. right, question number two. What if I'm uninsurable? Can I still practice IBC? Of course. Of course. Now you have insurable interest on people that you may not realize that you have insurable interest on, but you know, your spouse, your children, to some extent, your grandchildren, um, you know, there is legacy planning in life insurance and could be business planning, uh, business partners. I mean, Nick and I have insurance contracts on, on each other. Um, I'm sure that there'll be more policies on each other as our joint ventures grow. Um, Bob Burnett and I have policies on each other. Uh, uh, Harper Jones and I have policies on each other. Those are just some of the people that create Tailwind that we have policies on each other. Yeah. So it's just, just think of it like this. You can't go insure somebody else's car that you don't have any ownership of or any loss. It's just, Hey, if, if something happens to Jim, I, I have a, a loss in our business. I have a, a solution, a problem that I need a solution to and the, the death benefit from, from the insurance company will help take care of that problem. Absolutely. And here's kind of the cool thing is what if, Nick and I decide we don't want to be in business anymore. Do I get to keep the policy on Nick? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, it's, and it's about, um, you know, I, I like his, his uh, example in here versus the Ferrari versus the Honda Civic, <laughs> you know, is if you have a, if you have a Ferrari, then you can, you know, you're going to insure the Ferrari for a lot more than the Honda Civic, right? So, all right, question number three, doesn't everybody know that life insurance is a terrible investment? All the investment experts say you should buy term invest the difference. All right, before you go on and, and uh, really have a lot of fun with this, I want y'all to know if you wanna watch a, a great uh, analytical video on this less than 10 minutes long that picks apart this, uh, reach out to us at createtailwind.com, hit contact us, put that in the, the note on the message and I'll send you uh, a link to a video requires a password and whatnot. But if you want, really want to see this laid out, uh, we'll send that to you. Yeah, so here, here's, I, I, I got to disagree with Bob Murphy here. Okay, it doesn't happen very often and I'm not going to debate economics with him, okay? But Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman are not investment gurus. Yeah. <laughs> okay, number one, they're entertainers, Bob. And if you ever uh, revise this book, I would strongly encourage you to put in their investment entertainers because they aren't gurus. They aren't advisors. They're entertainers. Okay. But also you're comparing a guaranteed savings vehicle to an investment and it's not an investment. The definition of investment is what Nick? Yeah. A risk of a risk of loss. That's right. A risk of losing your, your, all of your investment, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. So, you know, buy term, invest the difference. Yeah. It's really funny because, you know, 33 years ago, that's what people would say. Should I buy term, invest the difference? And all these UL gurus would say, yes, do that inside of the insurance contract. It's called universal life and it's failed twice in 40 years, but you should still try to do it. And whole life has been around since the 1650s and it's never failed, but you should try this other thing, right? Okay, we'll get back to that. Um, all right, so... You know, the bottom line is if you're 25 years old, you have no money 
um, and you're not thinking long-term, then term insurance sounds pretty good because you can get a 10-year term policy for basically nothing, a 20-year policy for, again, relatively inexpensive premium, right. but in a 30-year, still not going to cost you very much money. Why? Because your chances of dying between 25 and 55 are very slim, less than 1%. But go try to buy a 30-year policy when you're 55. So this isn't a permanent solution. This isn't a protect your family, pass down your wealth, anything else. It's a scarcity mindset. When I buy term insurance, Nick, am I betting with or against the insurance company? Betting against them. Betting against them. And what do they have on their side that I don't? Actuarial science. They got all the information. They got all the data, right? So yeah. they know I'm not going to die. At least <laughs> 100,000 of me or whatever aren't going to die if I'm 25, between 25 and 55. And they know that they don't have to charge me very much money for that one out of 100,000 that's going to die or whatever the number is, right? So go ahead, Nick. I think that this whole buy term invest the difference, this notion, it completely misses the point. And he says it politely in here. It's you're comparing apples to oranges and it's the concept buy term invest the difference. It's, it's the notion of giving up control. You're going to go still go sit down with a money babysitter and say, Hey, do what you can with my 10% savings, invest quote unquote, invest that, put that money in prison. Okay, because you're not going to be able to mess with it. All right. We're talking about you taking control of all of your money. Because what did Nelson ask? He said, is your need for death benefit or your need for finance greater? Need for finance. Your need for finance is greater. So how about we solve that? Because Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, is really about solving one problem. And that is that we finance everything we buy. So buy term, invest the difference. We're, we're not even in the same universe of comparison. It's not even apples to oranges. It's, a, it's apples to tractor trailers. Right. Absolutely. So anyway, we'll, we'll send you the video if you really want to see the math on it. But it's conceptually, it's totally different. Now, now here's another thing um, is uh, some people like to put large term uh, riders on IBC policies, right? And he even mentions this as a sophisticated approach. But I would tell you that if you're doing infinite banking, it's I, I prefer having a separate term policy that is convertible. Now, somebody might in the audience might say, well, so my agent told me that my term rider on my IBC policy was convertible. <laughs> is it convertible? Technically. But what is if I convert it in the first, you know, whatever number of years, at least in the first seven years, what's going to happen? The, the policy will become a modified endowment contract, a MEP. More than likely, right? But how many people have you heard on the internet say that, hey, I put a large term rider on there so I can protect their uh, insurability and protect their family? Yeah. And all those people that we're seeing out there doing that, they're really new in this game. They're they really gotten, new. That's right. They haven't and, gotten to the point where their customers have, tried to do that and they realized they couldn't and they're going to be really ticked off. They're going to find out later on that there's a problem. So again, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is I'm not saying you shouldn't have term insurance to make sure your family's protected because you should. Yeah. 
while you're growing your IBC system, but you should make sure that that term is convertible to more IBC policies as you grow this. Because once you learn this more and more, you'll want more and more policies. So when you have something that's not convertible and you've tied up your insurability, guess what? You're not growing your IBC system, not for a number of years, right? Yeah. Okay. And one actuary that calculates it says it's seven years after the last PUA payment. Yeah. So what, <laughs> you know, so again, the MEC rules are changing. So I'm not going to get really into that. And as um, we've talked about, um, as of 1 1 of 21, the 7702 is changed, uh, IRC 7702, which is the definition of life insurance, because of the guarantees inside the contract are different and lo are lowered starting going forward. Then again, if you have a policy that says 4% guaranteed, then it's 4% guaranteed, but they can go down to 2% after 1 1 of 21, right? Does that mean every insurance company is going to do that? No, but they can, and that will move the mech line, right? Yeah. So I don't want to go into that too much because this part of it is really obsolete because of the change in the law, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. Next. Next. Let's go on to the, you know, so, you know, we, we can talk about, again, this is a savings vehicle versus an investment. And you can't do a comparison because there are no guarantees in an investment. And this, an the, uh, a specially designed insurance contract has strong, strong guarantees. All right. Um, let's see. Here's, here's something else I got to mention, Nick, on this, because he talks about internal rate of return. So you have, when you do infinite banking, Okay, you have internal rate of return of the insurance policy. If you're buying cash flowing assets, then you have the rate of return on those cash flowing assets as they appreciate in value and hopefully offset inflation, which we all believe is coming, right? Is here and growing, I should say. It's going to continue to get worse, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> then, if there's cash flowing assets or it's a business that's generating a profit, which is cash flow. Right. Well, then you have a rate of cash flow. So right. you have a rate of return inside the insurance contract, a rate of cash flow, and a rate of return on the appreciating asset. Plus, this is life insurance. So you have death benefit protection. So you have a legacy return, meaning someday you're going to graduate from this world and somebody's going to get a big check. That's right. right. So that's a lot of rate of return. Now, how do I compare to that to a mutual fund and some term insurance that's temporary? I don't know again. It's not a care. Okay. So I'm going to get off of that because I could sp probably spend 30 minutes just ranting on that one thing. I figured, I figured that's where we we're going to start right there was with that rant. Well, you know, I just wanted to, uh, you know, and when he says gurus in here, I mean, I, what makes Dave Ramsey a guru? He's an entertainer. He will not give you advice. And where did Dave Ramsey make most of his money? In real estate. But what you should do is listen to him and buy his term insurance from his term insurance agency that he owns, that he refers you to, and then to Wall Street. That's why people love him on Wall Street, because they're making money. Are you? No, we'll see. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Question four. 
I heard that those sneaky insurance companies keep your cash value when you die. That's just not even a question that I've heard in the last uh, 10 years, I don't think. So I'm not sure that that's a frequently asked question. But what would you say to that, Nick? I, I just say, hey, we don't need to belabor this. It's, it, it is fundamentally not understanding the insurance contract if you say that. And, and I do know that the Dave Ramsey world likes to perpetuate that because it's, it's throwing dust up in the air. But just think about this. Let's say that you had your, your home paid off and um, you sold it. Uh, you got 500000 for your home. You get the check. And then you say, no, 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 I'm staying here. This is still my house. You don't yeah. get both. And, and if you just think on that, if, if you didn't follow what I just said, just hit the 30-second rewind button and, and listen to that again. Uh, but it really is that simple. You, this whole life insurance policy, it's an asset. Think of it like that. It's not a commodity. It's not a, you're not renting term insurance or anything like that. It is fundamentally completely different and it is more akin to uh, your home than it is anything else or a business entity than anything else. Absolutely. All right, let's jump to question five. IBC is really just a way of, uh, to build up wealth in, in an asset and then borrow against it when you need liquidity. But there's nothing special about life insurance for this. I could just as easily do IBC using my house and home equity loans from a regular bank. Now I've heard this maybe again, I don't get this question, Nick. I mean, we don't get this very often. I mean, maybe I've heard it a couple of times in 10, the last 10 years, but I mean, what, where would you start on that? I, I would just say, Hey, it's understanding what's going on behind the scenes. And there's, there's really two things going on. It's understanding the loan process. Okay. It's, Hey, when I want a loan, um, we don't apply for a loan. Hey, if we want a loan for uh, to buy a home, they ask us all kinds of questions. It's a 30-day process at best, right? They want to see pay stubs, tax returns. Just where, where do I even begin with that? And then you're going to sign 30 pages of, of documentations. If you bought a home recently or refinance, they schedule an hour-long meeting with you to review all these documentation documents. But if we want a loan from our insurance policy, Hey, we're calling right now saying, hey, we want, uh, we want you to send me money um, and they're going to do it. There's no application process. They don't ask when you're going to pay it back. There's, there's nothing like that. It's already pre-engineered to allow you to be able to do that. That's part of the contract. The second piece is all those other things you borrow against, um, you could be removing money from a policy. Like we hear people are from an entity, we like when you take a loan against a, like a qualified plan, your money actually leaves. Um, if you're borrowing against your home, the value of it could go down. The bank could call the note. There could be, there's, there's peril there. The, the insurance contract, there, it's guaranteed. There, there is a guarantee inside of that. Um, the value of it is not going down. So it's a, it's a really safe thing to borrow against. And most importantly, your money doesn't leave. You don't interrupt the compounding um, when you take the, take the loan. So, um, that would be the, the extent of my soapbox on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll summarize it to it's who's in control too. Yeah. I mean, it's the bank's in control. When you try to use the HELOC, you're in control. When you use the insurance contract, you're the owner of the contract. 
you're the owner of the policy, not the insurance company isn't the owner. You don't have to ask permission because the owner makes the decision, right? Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, good. All right. So how about if the economy crashes, won't life insurance companies go down too? Well, I mean, think about this. Okay. I mean, remember I said that insurance companies have been around since the 1650s in England, right? Yeah. Okay. Have there been hard times since the 1650s, Nick? Have there been, have there been uh, catastrophic economic conditions? Maybe like, uh, I don't know, the Great Depression when thousands of banks failed. Right now, we have no problem putting our money in banks. Why would we ever put my, our, our money in banks after the Great Depression? Well, because we trust again, right? We, we believe that the government's regulating these banks. And guess what? They're regulating the insurance companies too, just a lot more uh, stringently. Um, but during the Great Depression, what saved a lot of people? The insurance companies. That's right. The insurance companies, the cash values in their insurance contracts. Right. So the the other thing is that when we why and we look at Exter's pyramid. Right. Is what do the insurance companies and that's on um, uh, you, you'll you'll see it in this chapter, but it's if you look at they basically they they invest in the middle of the pyramid. Right. So muni bonds, corporate bonds, you know, those that's long term stuff. Right. Yep. And if they had a 40 year bond strategy, which is hard for you and me to do, Nick, then 40 years ago, what year would it be? 1981. Right. Okay. Now, were you alive in 1981, Nick? <laughs> Just barely. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm just kidding. In uh, 1981, um, uh, I was 16 years old. Uh, but uh, in 1981, interest rates were high. Now at 16, that didn't really affect me, right? But we still have some bonds bonds that are from the 80s. Is my point, right? So there's some there's some things there that really help the insurance companies. And they have reserves and, you know, he doesn't really go into that, but <clears throat> I want you to look at something here because they always say, if everybody does this and how would the insurance company survive, you know? Okay. So what does it say on the percentages in the table that they have table two distribution of us life insurance assets in general and the, in general account year in 2015, 3.2%. <laughs> of of policies have loans out on now think about that okay <laughs> i mean 70 percent is in long-term bonds what i just talked about 70 percent okay so um you know you got 10 percent mortgages you know you got you know you got you got uh you know so there's 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 it's it's really interesting now here's something i would just tell you okay um those percentage of total assets, they don't add up to 100% on the right side in this book. So some analytical person is going to figure that out. And I don't know what the answer to that is, because the only thing that I could think of is that the corporate bonds, something's wrong with that number. Because if oh, I'm sorry, total long term bonds. Okay, you know what, Nick, it's me that's wrong. 
I'm 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 adding wrong. Yeah, huh? there's, subtotal, there's subtotals in there. There's subtotals in there. Okay, I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't add up. Okay, I get it. I didn't think those guys would make that kind of mistake. It's, it's, a, you know, it is. It's early as of this recording, early in the morning, and I've only had half of my coffee allocation. Okay, I get it. All right, I'm thinking something's wrong, but there's not. Okay. All right. All right. Anything so, else to add to that, Nick? No. I let's let's keep moving because. Um, yeah. Here's question seven. If the commercial banking system is vulnerable, as you've explained, then why would it be safe to keep my cash in an IBC policy? Doesn't a life insurance company keep my cash in commercial banks? How can I get a policy loan if the banks are all closed? Right. Okay. So, you know, you could, what, what would you say to that, Nick, before I go off on a rant that I won't well, go Well, I think on. we just sort, sort of covered where all the money is, is right. kept. But, but the, the second thing is, hey, you're kind of talking about a um, an Armageddon moment where there's no on and off ramps. We still use a commercial bank for an on and off ramp. Um, so it, it, they're still there. We're using the bank, commercial bank as a bank of convenience. Um, yeah. But we're just not storing our money there. Yeah. I mean, you know, if it basically, as long as there was one bank standing, you'd be okay right because you could you could have the money transferred to that bank so and and if all the banks went out of business then you know what folks we got a lot bigger problems than 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 you can imagine it's going to be about what you're going to eat not about um your retirement so i think the central um, banker's got a plan that's not going away anytime soon right exactly and you know so let's just put it this way the insurance um, companies are much safer is a much safer place to store your money than a bank, right? Okay, so question number eight. If I'm worried about in price inflation, then isn't life insurance a bad place to keep my money? I want to avoid dollar-denominated assets if I think the dollar might tank. What's your, what's your thoughts on that, Nick? Well, I think it's kind of missing the point of the process of banking because what do we talk about all the time? Hey, you take this money and we deploy it for cash flow assets, right? That are going to uh, yeah. or outpace inflation even. Um, you know, that's that's kind of how I, we think about it. We don't think about it in terms of at least our clientele is not how we talk with them, is that we're gonna just take money, we're just gonna store it there and and hope that it grows and and the guarantees are there. That that's not the point. That's not that's um, not what we're doing. We work with, yeah. We're buying assets. So, you know, if those assets are still there. Also, you know, you think about it um, is when you when you're when you're buying if look, if if the if the dollar fails, well, does that mean that our currency system will be failed for months? Weeks overnight, it'll be yeah, it'll be days at the most. Right. OK, yeah. so what if Congress changes the tax rules governing governing <laughs> life insurance? they just did make a tweak to it yeah they just did and it, it's you're gonna be able to put more money in the insurance contract <laughs> gosh i wonder why they did that nick uh could it be that some of these yahoos that are supposedly uh our representatives in congress are doing this yeah. well that's that's one reason right we know of at least 54 elected officials at the last counting now it's i would guarantee it's probably more than that and, and the two individuals that happened to be running for president last time in 
2020 both do this, right? So that's number one. Number two is there's really no reason for them to change the life insurance laws. It's only when they're abused. And when they were in the 80s, they were really being abused by stockbrokers more than insurance professionals, right? Right. Um, so you can read in that chapter nine, but the bottom line is, even if they make changes, they've always grandfathered the policies that you have, okay? The changes in lowering the guarantees going forward, that doesn't affect the policies that you bought before 1-1 of 21, right? Those all are going to be, and it, and it may not affect the policies that you're buying going forward. I mean, we're selling policies today that still have the higher guarantees. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. All right. Could I, uh, why do you insist on implementing IBC with a whole life policy? Couldn't you become your own banker with universal or other permanent life insurance policy? Okay. So <laughs> could you? Yes. Would you want to? No. Why? Well, a universal life policy, like I said, has failed twice in 40 years. I would say that anything I, I've seen thousands of these thousands in 33 years. I've never seen one variable universal life, index universal life, plain old vanilla universal life, guaranteed universal life that has the, that their cash value is more or even the same as it was projected when it was sold. When you get to be 65 or older and that cost of insurance keeps going up and up and up and up, Nick, and your cash value has a correction or it's flat or whatever, it doesn't work. And is infinite banking all about the insurance contract? No, no, no. So if it's not all about the insurance contract and it's about your behavior and, and it's about the process, then why would you want to use a product where failure is an option and universal life failure is an option and whole life it's guaranteed and it pays a dividend. If they never paid the dividend, you still get the guarantees. That's not how universal life works. Yes. Anything to add to that, Nick? Yeah, I always think of it like this. So before ERISA was enacted, it seemed like everyone and their brother had a, a pension plan, a defined benefit plan, okay? So who took the risk in that? Well, that was the employer, right? Yeah. And if you, if you worked there for 30 years or whatever it was at the end, they promised you a distribution of X amount, okay? Yeah. Well, then ERISA came along, the IRA and the 401k with birth. Defined benefit plans went away, and we had this rise of the defined contribution plans. And what did that, it made retirement, quote-unquote retirement plans, a DIY project to the employee. That's right. Okay? So I look at it kind of the same. The whole life policy is like the defined benefit plan where the, the employer the insurance company takes on the risk of performance and the, and the, the universal life is like the, say the qualified plans um, in that the employee, employee or the purchaser of the policy takes on the risk. So to your point of is failure an option or not? Well, I believe that failure just became an option when I buy universal life uh, policy just like your 401k versus a defined benefit plan. So that's how I keep it straight in my brain.
Yeah, you know, I, I like that analogy. And by the way, when you do do-it-yourself retirement planning, <laughs> do they give you training when you join that 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 uh, that company? Do they tell you, hey, here's how to become a pension manager? <laughs> no, they, they tell you to go line up for a money babysitter who oh, isn't paid but, to make you money. But hold on. Why don't they want you to be educated? Because then, then there's no way you would participate in the system. So if... You, so think about that. Do governments, do does the stock market, do banks want you to be uneducated? Well, yeah, you're the perfect customer then. You need them. You're dependent on them. But if you're educated and you bring the banking function to the you and me level, like Nelson tried to educate people for years and years and years about this, well, then you don't need them right? Then you're in control. You have the knowledge of how to take control of your life, the banking in your life, and the investments and the savings and assets in your life. You get out of the rat race, you break away from the herd, hey, right? Jim, are, are, are the qualified plans a government program? They are. What, what did Nelson say about all government programs and naming one that has uh, ever uh, succeeded he would say he would list them the post office i mean he'd go on and on and on the by the way nick the thing that drives me crazy is the department of education it is the most massive or one of the most massive buildings i've ever seen what does it do i don't even know i don't know either and there's a lot of people working there and they're getting a paycheck and if there's anybody in the audience that works at the Department of Education that can explain to me what those thousands and thousands and thousands of people do, give me a call. I really would like to know. All right. Hold on. Question one, 11. One last thing, because I okay, one last thing that said this about the government programs. He said all government programs end up doing the complete opposite of what they were intended to do. So I just yeah. want you to think about that. When you're thinking about this retirement plan, just think what just think, is it really going to work out? Is it going to build my wealth? To do. Yeah. So anyway, so what's the opposite of build your wealth, <laughs> Nick? <laughs> All right. All right. Last All right. Final question of the, of the chapter. Okay. This, this one makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, this makes a lot of sense for people who are younger slash older than me. Famous, yeah. famous question we get all the time. Am I too old for this? Or boy, I wish I would have known about this 10 years ago. We have a lot of laughs about uh, those comments. Yeah, I would go back and I would ask one thing that Jesus asked. And Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? Yeah. Do you want to be healed? Well, would you want to be healed when you were 80 or 20? Well, yeah, I'd rather be healed when I was 20. Would I rather have started doing infinite banking when I was 20? Sure. <laughs> okay, but I didn't have, have the means that I have now to do it. And you know what? When I'm 80, I'm going to have more means than I have now. That's just the way that I'm running my life, right? So, by the way, I had a 24, 25-year-old guy the other day say to me, he's a bright young man. He said, man, I wish I would have known about this sooner. And I wanted to say, excuse me? You're 25 years old. But, uh, and he was doing very well at 25, by the way. But, but here's the thing. We've seen people in their 80s get started doing this. Now, are we putting the insurance on them? No, go back a few questions. Right. They had a lot of people that had insurable, they had insurable interest on. Now, and again, 
at 80, Nick, are you still going to be thinking long-term? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, with your four kids, you could have about 16 grandkids by then. Oh my gosh, that scares me. Uh, so. Well, you think about this, just go back to what we're solving. We're solving that we, our need for finance is greater than our need for death benefit. Well, that, 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 that if I'm too old, then I don't have a need for finance, right? <laughs> right. When are you going to stop spending money, Jim? Well, it's the same day that I'm going to retire from yep. Create Tailwind is when, when you see my obituary, then you'll know that I'm retired. Yeah. So everyone's not too old. Um, By the way, I will truly be retired. Then I'll be taken out of service. There, there you go. <laughs> but here's the thing. I always say, when, if you agree that being your own banker is the right thing to do, okay? There's no way it could be too late because it's never too late to start doing the right thing. Absolutely. All right. Well, this chapter, um, you know, I mean, uh, Nick, I, you know, I don't even know if I should say this, but it's not my favorite chapter in the book. It's and, okay. it, it meets some people where they're at. And that's yeah, okay. but, I, but, but I hope that we've answered some questions that people might have yeah. because, you know, we, we really you know what we get? Here's the questions we get. How do I get started? Why wouldn't somebody do this? You know, how are you guys going to coach me? Why? You know, I mean, I really want to coach. You know, I realize Tiger Woods. I mean, maybe that's a bad example this week. But, you know, the best golfers in the world, the best football players in the world, the best uh, business people in the world, they all have coaches. Yeah. And that's what we do. And so they want to know, well, how are you going to coach me? And, you know, those are the questions we really get, because once somebody reads the book, they watch some of our videos, they listen to some podcasts, they go, okay, I want to do this. This is something that is going to change my life, change my family's future and leave a legacy. I, and it's biblical. I want to do it. Yeah. Right. And then they just want to know, all right, what are the things that I should be asking that I haven't asked? And yeah. what are the pitfalls that I haven't seen? And, and that's where we come in and we help you with all of that. And if you go to createtailwind.com, you can get a lot of great information all for free. You don't have to meet with us if you don't want to. And if you do meet with us, again, we're not going to throw you down on the ground and uh, twist your arm behind your back only because we're going from Zoom. If we were in person, we might do that. No, it's good. And uh, we just educate you. We just show you what is what's really happening. And Nelson always said, Nick, if you know what's happening, you'll know what to do. That's right. So any famous last words, Nick, before we wrap this up? No, thank you for, thank you for doing this. And uh, I think thanks to Nelson, Carlos, and Bob for putting this, uh, th this book together. Just remember, you can go to infinitebanking.org uh, and go to the uh, bookstore on there. You can get a copy of this. And uh, we appreciate you listening. And we've got a couple more episodes in this series. And we'll move on to some, uh, we have a great guest lineup coming up. Absolutely. And, you know, folks, you have to break away. What's the alternative? <laughs> stay in the herd, stay in the rat race. That's no place to live your life. Thank you for listening. Nick, thank you for joining me. Until next time. Want to become your own banker and build wealth on your own terms? We'd love to help. Go to createtailwind.com to learn more and schedule a complimentary consultation.